Johnny, thanks for those prayers. Don't worry, we haven't missed the reading. I'm going to do it. Um, So if you'd like to turn to Mark chapter 1, which is on page... um, It's actually 948. I'm going to be reading from this morning. Just carrying on our theme of the kingdom of God and what the kingdom of God looks like here on earth. Jesus is our model. We've seen him exercise authority last week in the synagogue. And now chapter 1 and verse 29, we're seeing him exercise the power of the kingdom here on earth. Just going to read these two paragraphs um, under the heading, Jesus heals many. As soon as they left the synagogue, they went with James and John to the home of Simon and Andrew. Simon's mother-in-law was in bed with a fever, and they immediately told Jesus about her. So he went to her, took her hand, and helped her up. The fever left her, and she began to wait on them. That evening, after sunset, the people brought to Jesus all who were ill and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door. And Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons. But he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And a short word of prayer. Father, as we sit under the authority of your word and the power of your word, we ask that by your spirit you would bring it alive in our hearts and minds, direct our lives, so that they live, we live our lives in line with you and your will and purpose, for the sake of your kingdom, and for the glory of your name. Amen. Living in the kingdom of God. Uh, I touched last week on this idea of the, the kingdom of God encompassing that which we're very familiar with, that which we know, we can, we can sort of see, touch, uh, mark with our five senses, the earthly realm, if you like, as well as those things that we don't so easily see but are no less real for that. The, the unseen realm, the Bible sometimes refers to, or the heavenly realms. We looked at references to that last week. And we saw how when Jesus, you want to just turn back, when he begins to teach about the kingdom and to declare the kingdom, he walks into a synagogue, a center of, of worship in Capernaum. And immediately he, he, he elicits, he draws forth a reaction from this man that, that no one had seen previously but as Jesus, who is, he, he's, he's, he is the kingdom in body form. He is the whole of God's sphere and God's orbit in body form. As he begins to speak out the truth of God's kingdom, it draws a reaction with this guy that Mark describes as being demon-possessed. And Jesus, with all the authority that he has delegated to him, just tells the demon to come out of the guy. Stop messing with his life. So that this, life, this guy can begin to walk freely in the way in which God had designed him to live. So the kingdom, one world, but if it helps to sort of, without getting too dualist, two realms. The realm of influence 
uh, that we see all around us, we're, we're just so used to, as well as the unseen realm, the heavenly realms, wherein lie the spirit of good, forces of good, spirits of good, as well as forces for evil. Interesting, I just uh, as an aside, I saw one of the banner headlines from one of the tabloid papers after this horrible uh, massacre in India. And it had a picture of one of the young um, bombers. And it, it, it did, the headline was just, the boy from hell. Interesting, you know, that, that he originates, the banner headlines want to say, he originates not from earth, well, you know, just like, like normal people. There's something, there's a surplus of evil about what's happened there that, see, that comes from somewhere else. The boy from hell. And, and tabloid editors are basically picking up on what Jesus is wanting to teach about the kingdom. There's the earthly realm, and then there are the heavenly realms of good, and sometimes, sadly, devastatingly, evil. Just one more, just to help us, because it, this is such an important concept as we begin to grapple with what it is to live in the kingdom. One other analogy, if I may. This, this room, our world, is full of light. And as you know, light, have various, light has sort of rays along a spectrum. And there's, there's light and, and different colours and so on that we can see. Um, blue, red, green and so on. But there are light rays that we can't see but still exist. And, and actually they impact our lives. They're the UV, ultraviolet rays of the sun. Now we can't actually see them with the naked eye as it were. But they exist. And if, we, if we're not careful, if we don't protect ourselves and our children from the ultraviolet rays that we can't see but are no less real, then we become damaged, we become burned. Sorry, you've probably seen mum sort of struggling to put slap sunscreen on, on kids. Oh, why do I have to wear this horrible sunscreen? Well, because we know that if you have too much exposure to these unseen rays, you'll be, you'll be burned. But we want you to enjoy the unseen rays. And so we'll protect you. And in much the same way, actually, God wants us to come under his authority so that we may live freely in the earthly realm and the heavenly realm and be protected from evil, and, and begin to live out and bless others with good. And Jesus, when it comes to kingdom living, Jesus is our ultimate model. He's the guy we follow. We are his followers. Last week we saw how Jesus spoke authoritatively to the guy with evil spirits. And this week, in this little instant here, we see how he lives with kingdom authority and power so that he's able to bring healing and wholeness to a world ravaged with disease and sickness. And specifically, verse 30, 31, this little private intimate moment with Simon's mother-in-law and then later on uh, at the end of a long day for Jesus uh, the, the door to this house in the whole town, many people or everyone, the whole town brought to him, verse 33 but many, verse 34 healed by Jesus walking and living in the authority that God had delegated to him Jesus exercises the power Authority is the right to rule or exert influence. Power is the ability allied with the authority. 
When we live in authority, when we have authority, the, the exercise of power is an inevitable consequence. So you'll often find in the biblical text in the descriptions of Jesus' ministry and as it's rolled out in the life of the church that authority and power go together. And we see specifically the power of the kingdom of God demonstrated in these healings here. I wonder what you think about what your reaction is when I say I talk about healing. The chances are that, that it begins to kick in something of a negative, slightly defensive reaction. Maybe you've seen that Steve Martin film, A Leap of Faith. Uh, all about it. He's a, he's a kind of charismatic, small C, charismatic guy. And basically it's a whole sham. He, he, he fixes it. He, he's, a, he's a faith healer who goes from town to town, sponging all the money off the people and faking these healings. He, he, he has all these guys with little microphones, uh, you know, just set, teeing him up. So he has these amazing words of knowledge for people. It's all a sham. Um, I don't want to spoil the film too much, but actually if you can sit through what is actually something's quite close to the bone, sit through it, because actually the ending is powerful and um, just catches you on the wrong foot. I won't spoil it, unless you're desperate to know, come and see me afterwards. Maybe it's that. Maybe it's just the, the very thing, healing. I mean, you know, some churches have had some healing services, as if there's something sort of special. We have to create a special service and a special liturgy, because healing isn't something that's normal. It, it, it's not something that you know, necessarily we expect or should happen in the, as people gather. So we have to do something extra. And we have to have faith healers, as if, you know, the other works of ministry, we don't need faith. We just sort of bimble through church services and bimble through ministry. But when it comes to healing, we need faith healers. And they stand on big platforms and there's lots of lights and there's sort of various paraphernalia and rigmarole and certain rituals. Uh, people come to the front. So it's all, you know, there's maybe screaming and shrieking and it's all just a little bit too weird. And we begin to want to distance ourselves from Jesus who we follow. I you know, don't mind the kind of teaching bit and I don't mind um, just the good things he said and the good things he did. But some of this supernatural weird stuff. Mm. And I wonder whether there's a temptation in us to, to begin to want to develop a theology that says, well, that was fine for then. Those sort of slightly primitive people 2,000 years ago. We're a little bit more sophisticated these days. We have hospitals and medics and doctors. We kind of know how to make people better. So we don't actually need to follow Jesus in these areas, in these realms. Once heard the story of a, a faith healer who was leading a service and uh, he, he kind of making a bit of a show. It was quite demonstrative and he said, uh, I want people who want healing to come up to the front right now. And a lady came up on crutches, and she came up on these, on these crutches. And uh, he said, what's your name? She said, Jane. And Jane, what's, what's wrong with you? He said, well, I, you know, I, I can't walk, I can't even stand up with these, without these crutches. He said, fine, go behind the screen. And so she went behind this screen. He said, anyone else? And this guy walked up, and he said, um, what's your name? And, and the guy said, S -s -s Simon. And he said, Simon, what, what's, what's wrong with you? He said, I've got a... Dutter. He says, great, go behind the screen. And then he does this great big show. He sort of calls down, great loud voice, Lord, you're the healer you can heal with. There's healing now, there's faith now. He says, right, Jane, throw your crutches over the screen. And these two crutches fly over the screen, land sort of on the stage by him. And then he calls out, Simon, 
say something. And Simon says, James fallen over. (laughs) And we kind of, either jokes like that or stories like that, kind of disappointments, failures, and we think, yeah, I want to be a 21st century Christian and I want to be as divorced from Jesus in the first century as it's possible to be. thing is, I think this passage, this particular incident, particularly the first one, should be hugely encouraging to us in breaking through all the myths and the sort of garbage that surrounds a lot of our thinking when it comes to healing and wholeness, living full and complete lives in the kingdom. Because you see, in Jesus' day, arguably even more than our day, certainly in the Western world, there were loads of exorcists and healers. There were loads of tin pot messiahs going around claiming this and claiming that. In fact, even now, the Middle East, uh, I mean, religiously, spiritually, it is much more intense than here in the West. Jesus was ministering within the context of all of this paraphernalia, if you like, secondary stuff that is relatively unhelpful, potentially. And even actually with this particular fever that Simon's mother-in-law in in verse 30 is described with, with a fever, or other translations say a burning fever, and some of the Jewish writings of the day, they have a particular prescription for a burning fever. That involved uh, several days of, of, of reciting certain verses and chanting ver- certain things. And it was thought that it, over two or three days, healing would come if you followed this prescribed form. And here's the thing to challenge, and I hope to encourage us too. Jesus has nothing to do with any of it. Look at it, verse 31. As the disciples have come to her and just told Jesus, doesn't that that say something about the disciples, their faith in him already? They go to Jesus. It's the most natural thing. There's something not quite right here. What do we do with something that's not quite right, not quite whole? Well, we take it to Jesus. So they go to Jesus. And he went to her. He was present with her. And it's just a beautiful description. He takes her hand and helps her up. And because he's living in the authority of the kingdom, delegated from the Father, it, it, it's just second nature for him to exercise the power. He goes, he touches her, he helps her up, and Mark says, the fever left. No great show, no great lies, no extra service, no come back at this time, no read this book, no have more faith. Jesus just rolling out the power of the kingdom. I would love to see greater power within our little patch of the kingdom. I don't think, if I'm honest, and maybe I need to change my view on this, I don't think I want to become a faith healer. I don't think I want to wear fancy jackets and have lights and sort of banners with my name on, or your name on, or our name on. I don't think I want all the rigmarole and ritual. I'm not particularly good with all the liturgy and stuff. (laughs) I'm not wanting more of it. Actually, I think I'm wanting less. But don't you? 
Certainly I do. I, I would love to live more in the power of Jesus. That when something is out of kilter with God's original design, we can just go, reach out a hand, and with the authority of the Father, as he directs us, we don't go on our own strength or under our own presumption, but just with his authority, in his timing, with his words and his actions, we go and exercising his power, rolling out his kingdom, wrongs are put right, and sicknesses are healed, and hurts are healed, and people are restored. Does that sound good? Hmm? <laughs> Sounds good to me. Look at this. As a result of what happened, verse 31, that evening. I mean, it's been a long day. You know, they wouldn't have streetlights and all that kind of thing. So when the sun set, that was the end of the day. And we're told after sunset. So it's the equivalent for us of a, of a very late night. I mean, into the small hours, the equivalent. People brought to Jesus all who were ill and demon-possessed. The whole town gathered at the door. They were desperate, weren't they? They were hungry. They, they would have said, hmm. <laughs> they, they, they wanted what was real and authentic. They wanted to see, they, they, what is this, they said earlier. Someone with authority, someone with power. Even the evil spirits listen to him and obey him. We want to live in that kingdom. We want to be aware of that realm of good influence and good power. So they bring everyone. And Jesus healed many who had various diseases. He also drove out many demons, but he would not let the demons speak because they knew who he was. Just, uh, is that puzzling? Just 10 seconds. I think the commentators say, as we saw last week, the demons knew exactly who Jesus was. Jesus didn't want to kind of freak the people who were still going, scratching their heads, going, who is this? So Jesus said, yeah, these guys are ahead of the game because they can see in the spiritual realms, in the heavenly realms. And I, if I'm not going to freak out the people I've come to minister and serve, then you be quiet for the time being. Your day will come on the cross and then you can shriek all you like you're defeated but for the time being just be dumb spirits don't tell anyone else who I am I know who you are I know who I am and I know you know who I am we'll leave it at that and it just gives the disciples enough time to go oh, you're the Christ you're the son of the living God blessed are you Peter bingo you've got it anyone else anyone else that's the thinking on that slightly puzzling bit in verse 34 but the point is people brought those who needed healing those who were oppressed or resisted by evil spirits in the heavenly realms and Jesus healed them or released them and set them free what's going on in Mark chapter 1 little recap We saw how Jesus is full of the Father's love and affirmation at his baptism. We see how Jesus knows that the time has come for him to, as it were, stand up and announce the kingdom. God's way of doing things has now begun on earth. And we see that in the way in which he calls some fishermen. They're, have it, they're successful in what they're doing. They've got their nets, their boats are established. He says, follow me. Not a set of rules, not a sort of a manifesto. It's a person. The Christian life is a relationship, first and foremost. And they immediately, they recognize him and respond. They leave their nets and they follow him. He goes into the synagogue. He begins to proclaim and teach about the kingdom. And as soon as he does, with authority, he's called upon to demonstrate it with power. 
One commentator summarizes, actually it's Matthew's gospel, but it's the, the, the same thing. The proclamation of the gospel of the kingdom and the demonstration of the kingdom. And they go hand in hand. Proclamation, demonstration. Proclamation, demonstration. With authority and power that comes from the Father and is exercised through him. And we see examples of that kind of delegated authority and delegated power all around us. Just raise a hand if you were watching the rugby yesterday. There we go. Yeah, well, oh, a number of you. You poor people. If you're English fans anyway, we're sadly depressed. I'm only sorry Johnny didn't pray for us earlier on. How we need it. It's extraordinary. I was watching England New Zealand. Do you know who the smallest, most puny guy on the pitch was? I would not, not, it wasn't really the players, I go further than that. It was the referee. The referee, although Carter, yeah, Carter's interesting, skillful guy, but quite small, isn't he? But actually, they all, these players, they tower over the referee. If we were to look at all the people on the pitch from an earthly realm point of view, or just from a point of view of physical prowess and physical strength, you'd say the ref stood no chance. I mean, it's almost comical when he stops the game and gets the captains over. Because the England captain, Borthwick, he's about, I don't know, he's about nine foot tall and built like three. I mean, he's huge. He's got this great sort of imposing scrum cap and a great, you know, big sort of scar on his nose from previous battle. And he stands there, sort of the, the, the sweat is steaming off him. And there's kind of, you know, the vapour snorting out of his... And he stands there like that. And the ref, because he's tiny... And if you looked at it from the earth world, you'd say that is just not a contest. But here's the thing. You see, the ref isn't there in his own strength. He's there in the delegated authority of the rugby football union. And they have trained him and skilled him and equipped him. They've given him a whistle and some cards. <laughs> and he spent 80 minutes using them. <laughs> Because he had delegated authority. He, he, physically, he had no power compared to them. I mean, it, it was comical, really. Borthwick could have. He, he's got these massive great arms. He could have just picked the ref up, swung him around a couple of times, and launched him into Stan G, row 36. But do you know what happened? I couldn't believe it. One thing, Borthwick, he had the temerity to suggest that Borthwick himself had an opinion on how the referee was handling the game. And he began to, he began to say, but ref. And the ref just stood there looking at company and said, excuse me, thank you. You go away, you go away, free kick, penalty. And that was it. 30 great big giants do what this one little wimp says. That's because he knew he had the authority of the RFU. He knew he had the things, the, the, the gifts, the abilities, the whistle and the card and so on. And he was exercising his authority. And he was bringing to bear his influence on the game. We're fine with the theory as we sit here. It's the application. It's what this means for us. It's where the challenge comes. Just turn with me on a few pages to John's Gospel. Chapter 14, page 1022. Jesus 
is calling us to live with him in the kingdom. He's not calling us to become weird or odd. I don't think he's wanting to raise up faith healing and oddness and weirdness. But he is wanting Christians, men and women, to stand up in his name and to exercise his authority and live in his power. He didn't just call the apostles to do that. We saw that last week when Paul writes to the church, apostles and ordinary men and women, you, all of you, are seated with Christ above every rule and authority. With Christ, above every rule or authority that's exercised here on earth. We have, if we are in Christ, we have his authority. Look what he says here to his disciples as he's preparing for them to leave. Um, let's go from verse 10. Because they're puzzled. Well, you know, we don't know where you're going and, and you know, how can we follow and so on. Verse 10. Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Uh, uh, other versions have miraculous works or miracles. The, the, the acts of healing that we've just looked at, for example. Very truly, I tell you. All who have faith in me will do the works I've been doing and they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Very truly, Jesus tells us, all, not just the apostles, other translations says anyone, He's talking to the apostles here, but he can't surely be referring just to the apostles because he goes on to say, uh, um, uh, 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 all who have faith in me will do the works I've been doing and they will do even greater things. If he'd just been referring to the apostles, he surely would have said, you. And he said, by the way, you know, this is just for you because you, you were the eyewitnesses, you were the authentic ones. But it seems clear to me that Jesus' expectation is that through the apostles' eyewitness accounts and what they did in setting up the early church, and I get this from the Great Commission, the end of Matthew's Gospel, teach, go make disciples of all nations, teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. And you and them all will do greater things than these. Now what does that mean? That Jesus is, is calling us very truly, I say. He's calling us to do greater things than his miracles. What does that mean? And again, um, commentators have puzzled over this. What, what does Jesus mean by everyone will do greater things in, who, in relationship with the Father through the Son? Christian people will do greater things than Jesus. Is it greater by degree or greater by extent? I mean, an even more amazing miracle than the miracle Jesus did. And maybe. Or, or, or is it greater by extent? In other words, Jesus could only do so many... He was, he was, when he was here on earth, he was one man in one place at any one time. So he could only... While he's, while he's healing Simon's mother-in-law, he couldn't be in Nazareth or Bethlehem or Jerusalem. 
But through him, his church, his followers, they can be in Europe and America and Asia and uh, Africa and, uh, and to the ends of the earth. They can fulfill the Great Commission in his name and by his authority. So that as he thinks of all people, he's thinking about all his followers carrying out his works just like him. So is it greater by degree? In other words, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. Maybe, you know, maybe that each of us could raise lots of people from the dead. I don't know, maybe. I know a number of vicars who started off in a new parish and that's the miracle they were hoping to perform. Or is it by extent that actually his followers would be known as people doing his works and living in his authority all around the world? Personally, I go for the second one. I think that's what it means. But here's the thing. Whether it's greater by degree or greater by extent, it can't be anything less than what Jesus did. I don't think there's any option for that interpretation. That somehow Jesus is on a greater level than us. That he does the real miracles and we just sort of, you know, tiptoe along in his shadow. Truly I tell you, all who believe in me will do greater things than these, to a greater extent. So here's where I want to finish with that question that I asked a bit earlier. Wouldn't you individually, wouldn't you corporately as God's people, Christ's body here in Parsons Green as we filter out into southwest London and beyond, wouldn't you like to live a life full of his authority and demonstrating his power so that blind eyes are opened and deaf ears are unstopped and people who are oppressed and contorted and squeezed and confined by those powers and principalities in the heavenly realm that seek to array themselves against God's authority to rebel against what he wants to do Lives that are crippled by fear or anxiety or stress or worry that that spill out in control or anger. Lives of people who feel themselves to be so unworthy and insignificant, insignificant. Wouldn't you like to have the kind of lifestyle, the kind of conversations, the kind of impact that releases those people in Jesus' name so that they're set free? They're healed. They're restored. If if I'm asking for a shot, my hand is up. If if I'm on it, you know, I'm tired of religion. (laughs) The vicar is tired of religion. No, no, he's really lost his... What I mean is, just of the empty shell, of the kind of scaffolded edifice that just crumples in on... A life form. I'm, I'm longing to see in my own life, and I've got so far to go, but I, this is my prayer. Lord, that you will shape whatever it takes in me, that I may live with more authority and exercise more power for your glory and for the sake of the kingdom. Will you, will you join me in that prayer? Let's stand together.
going to sing our final hymn in just a few minutes, but let's just take this moment or two of quiet just to reflect on Jesus, our King, to reflect on his kingdom, to reflect on the reality of the heavenly realms impacting the world in which we live. This promise of Jesus that we can do greater things than him. We can do his things. We can live his life. Love just where you, you are. If, if you would like to respond to that, that promise, if you like, I, I want to just, by way of a kind of, yeah, I'm going to stand and make a statement. Would you, where you are, just raise a hand. Wonderful. Just keep them raised for a moment. I'm going to pray on our behalf. Lord, as we've sat under the authority of your word, and as we believe by your spirit that you speak to us, I ask that you come and fill every single one of us, and particularly those of us hungry, with our hands in the air, longing to understand more of your authority, longing, longing to put ourselves more in line with your rule and reign. Longing to rid ourselves of sin and deceit and uh, just half-truth. Lord, as we stand here, our arms are raised because we want to follow you more nearly and love you more dearly. Lord, we want to exercise the power that comes with authority, that impacts the world in which we live. And just take a moment, as you can put your arms down, I get tired. But just a moment, with those of us in particular responding in that way, there may be, actually, as we've prayed that, there may be things that you're aware of that will come against and resist your desire to follow the Lord in more authoritative and powerful ways. And just in a moment, uh, and perhaps all of us can silently, we can enjoin these people in just praying that those resistances would abate, would disappear. Fear of some situation in the workplace, an insignificance, an inferiority in oneself. Maybe lack of faith that God can really do this, that I really am his child. And for every single one of us as we stand, we've got lives to go and live, workplaces to go to, families and communities and friends. Father, as we stand here, that your spirit would continue to empower and guide us, to convict us, and to enable us to live the lives you're calling us to live. So that we play our part in seeing your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.